AI Dash is the exclusive sponsor of Satellite Superheroes. AI Dash is on a mission to create a greener, cleaner, safer planet from space. AI Dash helps core industries become more resilient, efficient, and sustainable through the power of satellites and AI. Go out to AIDash.com. Find out more. On this episode of Satellite Superheroes, we're talking to Peter Weaver, Vice President business development company is orbital sidekick and you know what the topic we're going to be talking about hyperspectral imaging that's right from the air looking down seeing things that we don't see with the naked eye they've got the technology let's get cracking peter welcome how are you doing today i'm great scott nice to see you glad to be here yeah, I can throw a rock to your house, and and you could probably I can run outside and do that, and you can probably hear it. He's right around the corner. For you listeners out there, he's right around the corner. We go back a long way, but for the listeners out there, um, Peter, give us a little background. Your background into, let's say, orbital sidekicks, and just just who you are. Let's level set on that one. Well, as you know, Scott, I grew up pretty much in midstream oil and gas some time in chemical manufacturing, and about six years ago, met the founders of Orbital Sidekick, actually at a trade show, trade show that you're used to going to down in Houston Mm -hmm. at ILTA. And they had come from big tech themselves and recognized that uh, hyperspectral satellites could offer commercial value, and they wanted to know if there was a play in oil and gas. So based on coming from uh, the midstream and having a decade in DC policy. That's how I met the guys. They wanted to know what the play was in energy. Uh, for, for everybody out there, uh, how long has hyperspectral, that technology been around? It's actually been around for a few decades, uh, probably since the early 80s when hyperspectral began uh, being available, if you happen to be a first world government or superpower military. But it's only now that it's really becoming accessible to civilians by satellite. Uh, it's been around on small kind of ground-based platforms for a little while as spectroscopy. Now, for um, again, let's let's sort of dive a little bit deeper into the technology. Uh, define hyperspectral. Uh, uh, the easiest way to think about it, right? As people, we see three colors: red, yellow blue. And so three color bands across the visual part of the spectrum, 400 to about 900 nanometers. What hyperspectral does is it takes that same spectrum, actually can go beyond that spectrum. And in our case, we go from ultraviolet in the shortwave infrared and slice the spectrum up into many hundreds of bands. So we're looking at several hundred bands of color, reflected light, uh, electromagnetic spectrum instead of just three. What that effectively allows us to do is using reflected light, catch a chemical fingerprint of what you're looking at on the surface of the earth. So why is that? I mean, I I get the importance of it, but how did, how did uh, orbital sidekick come to the, I mean, okay. So you, you get that reflection, got it all good. And I would imagine that there's various degrees of reflection, right? Here's red, here's pink, here's various shades from wherever it's at. How do how do you how do you 
differentiate that red bad what if, what if it's blue <laughs> blue bad i mean it could be i mean i don't help us understand that well so but it's not really the color so much that you're looking at so as most first graders will tell you right oh, they oh, learn oh, what did you just say bumblebees right we'll look at the flowers yeah okay. first grade bumblebees will look at the flowers and some flowers have nectar some flowers don't how does the bumblebee know well, what I was told by my first grade teacher is, well, they see a different part of the light than the humans do. The light the bumblebee sees, sees the nectar, whereas we just see color. And that's generally the idea because the spectral feature for nectar or the spectral reflectance band for uh, a methane emission or a hydrocarbon fluid they're very narrow bands of the spectrum. So if you can slice that spectrum into much narrower bands rather than just the broad colors that we see, then you can actually isolate different features depending on what it is you're looking for. So I'm out on your website in the technology menu area. And of course you get this cool little slide bar, right? Beep, 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 of It looks like some sort of a uh, um, pipeline, whatever. And, and, and what I see is blue. And then on that, then I can slide across and see, oh, there's red. Okay. Help so us. So that's a false color. <laughs> that's a false color representation. So depending on what you're looking for, we can have red show up as a high concentration. Uh, and then as you fade off into yellow, right, it's just a heat map. So the heat map represents something else. So you could imagine for uh, long wave infrared, just looking for heat signatures, it's going to show up as red. It doesn't mean that you're looking at red. It just means that right. red equals hot. But in this particular analysis, because you've got the, the standard picture and it's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. And there it is right there. And then you slide, of course, you can go across. In this analysis, is, is this blue, turquoise okay? And then I see the red and it's like, okay, I'm going to go out there. And then that, that gives me the ability to say, danger, danger, Will Robinson. I'm going out to that location. Uh, you're your really looking... I'm trying to. I'm just... No, the, the, don't overread into the color. It's just a concentration oh. gradient. So the, the, the colors all indicate that the feature we're looking for. So what we actually are doing is working with clients to understand, and you mentioned pipelines, right? So yeah, pipelines right are a great application for our mm -hmm. technology. And we can talk about why. And yeah. that's really kind of what compelled me to jump from field operations into a Bay Area tech startup. So if you're looking for uh, a threat to the pipeline, could be somebody's digging, construction activities going on, um, erosion, distressed vegetation. Each one of those features, you know, oh, actual liquid leak, could be liquid leaking above ground or below ground or an above ground methane plume. Each of those features are gonna show up differently within the spectrum. So we will actually apply filters, different filters for each feature that we're looking for, for the particular client's interest. And if that feature shows up, there'll be a location and generally speaking, especially if you're talking about like a liquid leak, there could be a concentration element to it. So the stronger that reflectance is or the absorptive band of light, 
the higher the, the color. Again, yes. it's just a heat, it's a heat map. So what, what, what I hear you saying is that, okay, you got it. You got the camera. You got the hyperspectral technology. Yes, there it is. Boom, technology in place. Great. There's a whole other layer of analytics that have to be applied to that. Yes. I guess, like, uh, of course, I stepped right into it. I'm on your website. I'm sliding back and forth, and I think that I know what's going on, but clearly I don't. So there has to be this dialogue between you and me yeah. and, and saying what you are seeing and how we can hone that into something that is meaningful for you. Is that what I hear you saying? Well, yeah. So, right, people love to talk about space. Why? Because it's cool. It and is. hyperspectral is pretty cool technology, right? It's, it it's neat and it's not otherwise available. But really, in terms of what does our company do, what do I do? I think of it as an intelligence service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really the intent is to take these data stacks that are really large. And I'm sure you're going to want to talk about, you know, these massive data cubes. It's just big and do something with it that makes it usable at the end of the day to the guy in the pickup truck. Like those are my friends. Those are the people who I'm looking after. It's the reason I'm here in the first place is giving the guy in the pickup truck better information. Now for us, it's an analytical process. It's processing these data stacks that are hyperspectral in nature that we're getting just happens to be from our own constellation of satellites. Why do we have our own satellites? Because nobody else is offering the same data stack that we're seeking to get the type, the granularity, and the modest pixel size to really be applicable and useful to a guy trying to maintain his uh, pipeline right away. So we're talking about maintaining, a, 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 we're using the analogy, the, the pipeline. Got it. That's good. There's probably other definitely use cases associated Plenty with of, this. You know, mining, agriculture. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, we could go down a, a good yeah. list. Certainly uh, DOD it, is a big part of our business too. Yeah, there you go. Why wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's take that um, pipeline example, maintenance. So here we are. Your, your, your technology, your solution is... Low orbit, correct? Yep, low Earth orbit. Low orbit, zipping around. Um, I'm able to identify that location how often a day? Let's say that we, one. Yeah. So a satellite for hyperspectral imaging, almost by design, is going to be sun synchronous. So as the sun, oh. right as the Earth turns, so we see the sun traverse, the satellite's going to orbit north to south, and follow the sun. So generally speaking, we're going to be crossing the equator approximately solar noon, give or take an hour or so every day because it's reflected light technology. So you want good sunlight, right? Yeah. That's important. We happen to be polar orbiting. So we're going pole to pole. That gives us access to ground stations at the pole. So better data transmission frequency and capability. And at the rate and velocity of the satellite traveling at low Earth orbit, we're crossing the equator approximately every 90 minutes. So every 24 hours, over a given area, you know, we'll, we'll cross the United States two or three passes in a day. We're deploying a constellation of six satellites during 2023. The reason we came up with six is by the time they're all operating, That'll give us approximately daily revisit capability for any given location. Good. So I'm Scott Sixpack. I'm out in the truck. Uh, you've identified my asset. You've run it through some analytics or whatever capability is saying, 
hey, Scott Sixpack, go out here. Is that is there a proactive communication? Do I have to? Can it be a mobile? Help us work through that. Um, communication's key, right? And it's got to be timely. So when you think about the service that we're trying to put together, we really, from the beginning, identified three key elements, and all three are critical. Collect the data, control the data, right? Obviously, that's spacecraft. Analytics, that's what we talked about, where you're isolating whatever that feature that Scotty Sixpack is worried about. Yep. So we're doing analytics to find those. And then where they show up, we're pushing the coordinates and some imagery with the false colors on top out to you. So for the most prominent analytics, we can actually perform that on the spacecraft. For some of the more subtle features, and what's a subtle feature? It might be something like erosion and construction activity where you're looking at different soil characteristics to figure that out. You need a little more of the data. It's a little more uh, processing intense. So we'll downlink all the data sets and do the analytics on the ground. So depending on the type of analytics we're doing, there could either be a direct text message to you, or we'll run it through the system and export locations to a you know pretty standard web platform that's you know map enabled with again the location and not just a location and a color signature, but rather a description that using our uh, erosion assessment tool, we found a potential indication of erosion in this location. You might want to go check it out. So there's there has to be this algorithm. If I if the data falls within this bandwidth, whatever, yeah. I'm okay, right? With that, that's great. And then of course, then if it falls outside of whatever that bandwidth, that algorithm, then there's a potential to notify me. Got it. Exactly. A couple of questions. One, there there's just data. There's got to be trending data. So how do you manage the trending data of this location, right? Saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Then all of a sudden you see some trending still within the bandwidth of the algorithm, whatever that is. But then all of a sudden you see some trends that are navigating to the uh, potential issue. How do you you handle that data? Uh, Well, there's again, there's a lot of data. And I like to think of these detections in two ways, Scott. The first is the absolute detection. And that's what we talked about, where you're looking for a specific reflected type feature that, you know, talking erosion, maybe it's an iron oxide feature. Okay, I see it based on that specific reflected. Well, you're getting to my... Uh, next point, which is, okay, what it looked like last time? Was it kind of a little bit there? Was it more or less? So it's that change detection over time that really, to me, becomes an important validation point, and it's going to help build confidence and help Scotty Sixpack make good decisions in terms of what do I need to wake up for in the middle of the night versus what can wait until tomorrow or Monday versus just put it on the long-term maintenance program. So yes, absolute detections are key. Relative detections, which is including changes over time, give you better insight over that. And quite honestly, there are going to be different metrics at different operators, depending on what they consider priority. So one of the fun things about employing 
it's not necessarily new technology, but definitely a new application and new market accessibility is we're learning what those thresholds are now. And we're working with individual clients to know where do they get excited so we know where to report proactively versus where to sit on it a little bit longer or downgrade it. But it, it, it seems to me that uh, throughout that time period, as you have these conversations with these clients of what's important, what's not important, you're able to hone your ability to be able to determine, yeah, you want to go, this is it, because we have all of this other conversation that's out there. We've been collecting all this data, and this is where you want to go with, with the data. What do you do with the data that, I mean, it, I mean, you don't have a massive cloud farm out there that's just sort of, oh, we're going to just sort of store this data over here. There's got to be some uh, decision-making of like, okay, that's fine. Let's, let's move on. This is important stuff, but this isn't. How do you, how do you cleanse that data? Uh, well, a lot of data is coming in. Yes, we use a cloud service um, to store the data. We are tasking data collection specific to individual clients and projects. So we're not just out there grabbing anything and everything because we can, um, we're tasking it. And then depending on what the, again, what the features are, we're running the analysis and retaining what's valuable over time. And also just keeping some background data for the archives to a certain extent. Um, but it's very tailored. It's optimization is valuable, right? If you're not careful, you can just just fill up the warehouses. And so digitally speaking, obviously, yeah, data management is part of, and quite honestly, getting back to how is it possible for a small company like ours for relatively modest budget to do something like this? Five years ago, data capacity, downlinking capacity, access to space was just so much more expensive. So we're somewhat riding the, just riding the cusp of what's possible, where is it economic, and trying to make the best decisions based on um, ultimately deriving value from what we're doing. So with that said, it, 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 there's a couple of points that I want to bring up. First off, listeners, we've got uh, uh, a couple of points that uh, you need to put down and, and Peter sort of highlighted. And one, one is uh, the focus is collect and control data. That's one. Two, the analytics behind the data and behind what is being uh, performed by Orbital Sidekick. And then, of course, there's an action component, whatever that might be, uh, an action to me or Scott Sixpack. And then and then there's the absolute detection and, of course, the relative detection. Both are, are both key to what is going on. The uh, With all that said, I geek out on this stuff. I love this stuff. I, I mean, I, I just, I think, I think the future is bright and it's pretty exciting. It can be pretty scary too, as I look at your capabilities. Um, what are the roadblocks? Uh, I mean, honestly, that's a great question. It's hard. <laughs> if what we were doing was easy, others would have done it a while ago. Yeah. Um, so we're deploying spacecraft. Uh, that's fraught with peril. Um, we feel very good. We've actually had two prior launches. We've operated on the International Space Station and we had a, a successful launch about a year and a half ago. So that all set the stage for confidence in our technology and our protocols for putting six spacecraft up in 2023. Hyperspectral analysis. It's a lot of data. We've kind of beat that drum. Um, processing hyperspectral data cubes in a timely manner 
so you can actually get results within hours or even days rather than weeks to months, which has been historically how these manual analysis uh, processes have happened, that's significant. So fast, rapid processing of the data and automating that. Because again, massive data cube, you can't have a human intervention at every step along the way, which has been a real uh, gating item to democratizing hyperspectral over the last couple of decades. So you're not so using an Excel spreadsheet. Ones. Yeah, you're not using an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> you need a couple Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> layers. If it, and I, I'm going to digress a little bit. We have six launches that are taking place in 2023, which is cool. Right, that's one. Three launches, two, two uh, birds on a launch. Oh, Birds. okay, I got you, I got you, got you. And once they're deployed, how quickly can you turn them on? Uh, and we are setting aside about a month to just go through all the system checks, all things considered. So right now, our next deployment will be on SpaceX Transporter Seven. That'll be the 1st of April. Um, you should come down to Cape Canaveral. It'll I am. be a good time. I am. I'm going to. Um, and you know, we might be able to get you an invitation to, to, to have some fun with Do us. Do I know somebody? So that, that'll be the first one. We'll be launching right, right around the end of first quarter, start of second quarter, and expect to be operating mid-Q2 next year. And, and again, I'm going to digress a little bit. So you're up in the air. You got these things deployed. You got these satellites deployed, which is pretty doggone cool. And so sci-fi-ish. I like it. Um, and you're going to take, let's say, for for our conversation, about a month to sort of activate. Are there – this is – I would imagine there's a lot of stress there. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Because I mean, uh, we're not we're not uh, going. Hey, I, hey, the discronificator on our uh, satellites just not doing what it needs to do. So let's send somebody up there to test with a wrench and then do that. Now, uh, I would imagine there's a lot of oh, pre during. There, there's process. it's a process. I mean, yeah. the way I have yeah. observed yeah. this, it's hard to be patient. Right, space is hard. To quote the guy who started SpaceX, um, and the process starting with just engineering and designing these sensors. I mean, 500 bands of hyperspectral data across, you know, shortwave into um, ultraviolet. That's a, it's a hard technology. It's hard to build the optics to successfully achieve this. Um, once the spacecraft is built, then there are all kinds of every uh, testing on everything from heat and vibration. So we've been going through those tests and right, waiting for the results for each one. We've been successful, but they're still nail biters. So we're getting to the point where next up we'll be shipping your very expensive piece of equipment to Cape Canaveral from, you know, from, from California to Florida. So waiting for it to show up, make sure the truck didn't get in a wreck. Um, there are little things like that. And then finally having it bolted onto the rocket and, and launch, weather windows uh it's a long list but Jeez, I, I just that's amazing i yeah. are you gonna are you gonna be there when they bolt it say okay oh. be careful go, careful 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 right, <laughs> i'm not the satellite guy no you're 
you're pointing out some, there's a lot of steps. A uh, couple more questions. One, who can play? Can, um, can small companies consider playing or is this still a, uh, you know. In, in terms of uh, launching their own satellites or in terms of working with the working service with you. we're offering? I yeah, want to work absolutely. with you. I want to be able to, uh, I'm going to say, hey, I've got some pipelines out here. I'm one of the smaller uh, pipeline, whatever it might be. I'll, I'll be honest, there. right? Yes. Uh, by design, when we tried to figure out the business strategy to build Orbital Sidekick, the idea was making accessible this type of capability and service to the universe of operators, facilities, pipelines. They're a great start. Um, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. When you when you think about that. Uh, traditionally, people are monitoring pipelines with small Cessna aircraft. So our market intent is to be able to be competitive with what you're spending already and provide yeah. a better service for it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. What's the future look like? Well, yeah, no. what, uh, outside the future is bright. Um, yeah. Global domination, Scott. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing what's what's becoming possible. And I've yeah. got a, a friend who spoke at a, an event just the other week who was talking about his hypothesis that have we reached peak damage prevention? And what he meant by that was hmm. for every incremental dollar you spend to try to protect your assets, are you getting a corresponding value addition and how much damage or threat you're saving. And what his conclusion is based on looking at the last couple of years of data is no, in fact, your return on investment for additional damage prevention expenditures is negative, right? It's not good. And what that means to me, what it kind of translates to why I was compelled to join a tech startup, this one in particular, is there's a real hunger in the in the marketplace amongst the operators for how to change the dynamic of improving your performance in protecting your asset. The cost for failure is going up and the ability to, right, the low hanging fruit's been picked. So the ability to really yeah. narrow those few, the fewer and fewer, more and more painful episodes there's going to have to be a new way to go about it. I, the, you're, you're speaking my language because I always have that conversation. It's like, I got it. I got all the low hanging fruits. You're, you're managing your assets. You're a, you know, you're a asset centric organization, but then there's this incremental, right? well, When do you stop sort of tweaking the model? Because you're already at 95%. Well, for diminishing that, returns has like, kicked in a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. That's also another challenge. Anyway, I, 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 I digress. All right. So people are listening to you, Peter. Orbital Sidekick is the company. How do they get a hold of you? Oh, that's easy. Uh, solutions at orbitalsidekick.com would be a good way to do it. Right. You could also do info at info at orbitalsidekick.com. It'll come right to me. I, I need to get a solutions email. All I have is an info email. <laughs> yeah. Solutions. Two is better than one. I know, yeah, I like that, man. It's like there's info. Eh, okay, what about solutions? I want solutions. All right. Solutions are the answer. You know, Peter, you were great, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. I could go Five on months. and on and on. My my little uh, notepad is full. Full. Excellent. You're a good listener, Scott. Oh, yeah, I'm a good listener. Don't talk to my wife about that. 
All right, uh, listeners, we're going to wrap it up on the other side. We're going to have all the converse, uh, contact information for Peter and Orbital Psychic. So don't go away. We will be right back. All right, once again, thank you very much for joining Satellite Superheroes. And a hearty thank you to Peter Weaver, Vice President, Business Development, company called Orbital Sidekick. I like that name. You should like that name. That's pretty cool. All the contact information, just go out to the podcast. You'll find out how to get a hold of Peter. He's got a mad stat card out there on LinkedIn. Reach out. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, you will not be disappointed. Peter Weaver is the man. The company is Orbital Sidekick. Again, thank you very much for joining Satellite Superheroes. This is where we just celebrate all of the heroes trying to leverage innovation and technology from the sky, looking down, making our lives better. So remember, we're going to have another great conversation shortly here, so stay tuned.